0: Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton.
1: We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 152. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, is another day of quarantine. We are remote uh, recording, not live uh, together in, in our office, but from our homes and uh, lots of news coming out today and, and over the previous week. Oil is well, oilprice.com is down right now, Ryan, but I think uh, last time I saw it was ten fifty, ten seventy-five. Yeah, that is not the price of natural gas, folks. That is oil. <laughs> this is not today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got a new game for us to play, Doc. I got a new game for it to play. Here's a new game. Okay. When you wake up you look at the date. So today is the 20th of April, okay? Then you look at the price of all. If the price of all is higher than the date, it's a good day. If it's lower than the date, it's a bad day. So if today was like April of the 3rd, we'd be like, right, this is a really good day. Um, But since April the 20th, it's a a terrible day. I I don't know how else to do do with these oil prices, but it feels like we're going to have to find some weird metric to get excited about oil prices. Um, I don't know how much, well, I know how much lower they can go, but I don't know how much lower they're going to go. I I will say this. Um, We said on the podcast a few weeks ago that Speakner reached out and he said he thought he might have the COVID. I have not heard from Speakner since. At what point is it proper to declare the Prophet of Doom might be gone to better places that prophets of dooms go? I mean, do you have to um, I don't I don't know so Speaker, we are putting up the official Texas oil and gas podcast bat signal calling for Speaker, uh, wishing him well. and um if we don't hear from him a few weeks, I will read his last message he sent to me, which would be uh, Barry Speaker. <laughs> yeah we'll get nate to do a, a proper send-off for speaking if you don't hear from you so speaking we do hope you're well w- and uh, speaking of doing well so folks reached out about the intern um so a couple things there one she is doing better from all accounts too folks uh let's not give stephanie too big of a hit already already i mean look at what happened have with nate nate kind of got this celebrity deal now he's unbearable so let's let's pump the brakes on checking on stephanie intern she's okay she's gonna live that's Let's let's just kinda of let her be for now because uh there's not enough for, there, there's there's too much ego as it is now, Josh. I don't think we can handle any more yeah, ego be, on this
1: podcast. So it will definitely be over the top. Oh all of our way this week, Ryan, we did get a review that came in, I believe, from Canada. I don't have access to that review, but uh I think
0: Yeah, Canada. Yeah, yeah, we got one five star cool. review, so they understood the guidelines. That so was good. Thanks from Alberta, a.k.a. Texas North. Thanks for the great podcast and straightforward opinions. I enjoy listening every week and appreciate the effort you guys put in. Canadian industry is basically in ruins right now, has been for five years now. I used to work in the industry and do not favor tariffs or bailouts. If the industry in North America is to survive, it must go through this reckoning, as it has been years in the making anyways. Please talk about where you see oil and gas in three to four or five years. When this industry when the industry has massive recruiting problems due to the downturn, the perceived risk versus reward of working in the energy industry. Thanks. And that is from I'm, I'm at this name wrong, but our Lashik, Le- I think is how you say that, um, from Canada. And so um thank you for the five-star review. And and real quick on that, Josh, I was looking at the numbers. We have hit the most downloads in a 30-day period that I've ever seen. So thank you for all the new listeners who've come on um so really you know kind of surprised we were worried the number our numbers, they go down and they might <laughs> if we'll say ten dollars a barrel but we have our um the greatest amount of, uh the most downloads ever on a 30-day period that i've ever tracked and so i uh, thank you for all of the new folks coming in so three to four to five years from now where will the industry be <sighs> I, yeah i mean i think if you i think the balance back here is going to be the critical factor so if we're if we're seeing prolonged Oil prices that go into you know, Q3, Q4 next year, where and the rest of the economy has uh, rebounded. Okay, so the rest of the economy is kind of rebounded, but oil prices are low, and people have somewhere else to go. Then that that could be very very damaging for the, the recruiting process for oil and gas. Um, now, if the rest of the economy is kind of unstable and people are looking for jobs, we have 22 million people unemployed right now. So if you're if you if let's say Q1 of next year oil prices are coming back up and you have a high unemployment rate, well, recruiting people won't be a problem because people are looking for jobs, right? Um, now, it might not be the, the same people or the right technical expertise. So I think it's going to depend on how the rest of the economy kind of rebounds compared to oil and gas. If the rest of the economy is up and going and booming and we are still stuck in low prices for a significant time and everyone else, we kind of go back to this unemployment rate we had before, which, which I'm not saying is going to happen, but if, they, if just kind of thinking through it, I think it's going, be, it's going to be very hard. The other thing to consider is, um, and it's too early to say, but you're starting to see colleges complain about uh, enrollment in the summer, enrollment in the fall, um, you know, how many um, you know, petroleum engineering programs will go away, um, you know, land management programs. Those are things that you're going to have to kind of watch to see uh you know what happens as we go six 12 months from now do you do, do colleges shut their doors they shut down programs and i don't know those answers so i really think it's going to depend again i'll say, summarize it all of this would depend on how quick the recovery is in oil and gas compared to the rest of the industry uh, the rest of the uh, economy if the rest of the economy drags on for five years and oil and gas drags on then it won't be a problem if somehow the rest of the economy starts booming and it takes oil and gas longer then i think you could you could see a uh, a significant issue. Well, to I was run. thinking so that that'd be uh, my one take of the articles coming up.
1: Uh, moving to robotics, we've talked about we talked about automation for some time now. What I'm anticipating is with with all of these layoffs, they're gonna they're gonna begin to develop uh, software and uh, and hardware. Not that it will replace humans in in total, but. Let's say they need a crew of ten. If they could get that, where they needed to crew of five, and they had some software and, and analytics and things, where they could maybe get rid of half of what they need, um, they could have you know uh, ro- robotic things that they could use to replace. I'm not saying that they will. I think that's going to be the big push in the industry is going to be to develop more automation because that is going to be an issue. Um, like you said, if if in, people in the economy don't have jobs in all booms. Well, it'll be easy to fill those positions, but um, it's going to be hard to get people to transition, even if they're making, say, 80,000 over here to transition to oil and gas to make 100,000 a year. It's going to be hard to get them to do that because the risk that's going to be involved there. So uh, I anticipate to see um, a lot of people innovating with technology over the next three to four years uh, just to try to create some stability.
0: That, that's an interesting point because a couple of things. One, um, again, the the length of the recovery is what's the unknown, and that's going to be the big factor here. If you have a, let's just say, you know, I don't think anyone's thinking uh, 2022 before prices recover, but let's just say you went in 2022. Um, you know, obviously none of us today can sit here and predict, you know, how that will impact it. But one of the things to your point, Josh, I thought about was. If you remember when we, we started the show, a lot there was talk about um, we could run out of potential future oil supplies because uh, we're not, we're not, we weren't investing in discoveries, right? We, you know, we weren't looking for new oil because of the downturn. And they were worried that, you know, 2025, 2030, that you could get to a point where we didn't have enough new oil discovered um, to kind of keep the production levels where they're at. So I, I wonder if you will see something like that. Um, those headlines start to come back around again. And if you start thinking, well, and, and my take of the time was, um, yes, it's a problem, obviously. But, you know, price is long enough, stay high enough, then we'll fix it. But now the prices are back down again. So will companies abandon looking for new oil reserves? Um, if that's the case, you could see a market uh, a couple of years from now that's very fearful because it's not finding enough reserves fast enough. I don't think we're going to get there, but you could start to see that narrative again. But it also plays into the to the to your point if if your company X right now, and you're saying, well, um, you know, it, this is company X, let's just get to it. Let's say company X can make it, can can do a break even of the premium for $37 a barrel. And they estimate that it's going to take them, you know, $20 million in R&D to kind of develop the technology to kind of cut down to where you're saying, hmm. will they risk that money right now? Because they may not have the $20 million to risk. And so I think you've got a good point. But the other side of that is, they may go right now, we, we can't even afford to risk the R and D to lower our costs by, you know, um, you know, outsourcing, uh, um to, to develop technology te- 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 technology to use that term. Uh and so then you go, well, to the to the private industry stride, will the private industry um try to develop those tools to lower their costs because there's not a lot of work going on. So it's an interesting problem um that you're gonna see for the next Six to twelve months if the prices don't rebound and it takes you know in again to Q three, Q 4 2021, um, I don't know if it's gonna be a major setback, but it really could shape, reshape how we Definitely how we think a point
1: about it. Yeah, the the issue of is the risk of investing in technology. I, I thought about that. I, I think if the private sector develops things and then sells it, um, that would probably be the most likely if if the industry is still know uh, for the next six to eight months, especially with the industry being down. But um We've said it before. We're bullish on oil in the long term. Um, I expect prices to come up, so I, I do think that I do think that um, there will be there, uh, these companies will be profitable if they can survive this um, this downturn.
2: Yeah,
0: it, 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 the only thing I say that Josh, if you're an environmentalist and you don't like oil, now is your chance to really put a hurting on it. Go change the nuclear regulation. Go, you know, there's there's certain regulatory things that you could loosen up, that could really um, hurt the sustained growth of all. Um, but I don't think we're going to see that happen. So,
1: um, right, We're well, jumping into sustained. this week's story. So we know uh, the Railroad Commission. They had a meeting last week where they were discussing whether they're going to um, enforce these production cuts. Uh, I believe there was a call with, like 55 different owners or CEOs of companies, uh, people discussing uh, whether or not this is a good idea. So I have three articles pulled up here. We're going to link to these in the show notes. One from Heart Energy and two from MRT. Um, the uh, the Heart Energy's title is Texas Hearing on Oil Production Curb Stirs Hornet's Nest. Uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, Ryan, but we didn't have information from the meeting. Um, so there's... There's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot of people that are against this, but there are some thinking that we're in a desperate situation and absolutely need them to do it. What I found to be very interesting was uh, Christy Craddock, uh, where she said we don't know how to do it at the agency anymore, and she's she you know she's asking questions like, like when do we start doing this? How do we do it? Like, what does it look like if we do it? There's a sense of like how are they actually going to mm-hmm. enforce this? And that was uh, Dr. Anasa's point. It's easy to make the order. It's a different thing to enforce it. Yeah. And last time he said looking at yeah. history they had to send, you know, tanks exactly. or whatever down there to, to actually enforce these these rules, these laws that they're that they're putting in into place. I don't see them doing that uh during this time. I just don't see how how they're gonna go and, and try to enforce these these laws and rules in New Mexico. I I guess they could put like I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah. So before we get into this, we
0: have reached out to someone who is on the opposite side of this argument. I'm not sure how much uh, for the proration he is, but hopefully he'll come on and kind of give us his take on it. Because for where we're at, we're having a hard time working through this logic. Because to me, it seems like it's a, it's a really bad idea for a lot of a lot of reasons. Let me just give you uh, one that stood up. I listened to the call in the afternoon. From like 1 to 3.30 or 1 to 2.30 or 1 to 3. There's, there's two breaks in there. If you go back and look at the transcript, you can kind of see where it was. And there was a person who called up and he was a uh, owner of a small you know emp company and uh, the gentleman said you know the pipelines in his area are full and so uh, you know so he's hoping that if you if you if you curtail production um that that would help that issue And so i was sitting there thinking, and he also said that the oil that he's producing is a better quality than some of the the, the oil that's in the pipelines and so i sat there and i thought about it i said well the first thing i would ask is uh you know why aren't you trucking the oil so If you have oil and you can't get a pipeline, you can truck it. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is how it should be done. I'm just saying, if I was on the call, why are you not trucking this oil? Are there no trucks available? Is the trucking make you lose it? The second thing is, if your claim is true that you have the oil that people want, um, why is someone not building a pipeline to you? Okay, so if the pipelines are full in your area, why does someone not build a pipeline? There's no law against that. The third thing is, um, if we did curtail production. And we didn't make a special policy around this area, wherever it's at. What's to ensure that the production in this area goes uh, slacks off enough to where there is a spare capacity in the pipeline, right? So you could curtail production, but in that area, people, for whatever reasons, keep, keep producing at the same rate because it's not curtailed um, you know, to that level of detail. And so this gentleman six months from now is going, well, we curtail production, but they didn't curtail my area. Um, So you'd have to, you think about how you had to morph a policy to fit that person's problem. And it's, it's not practical. It's just not practical. Um, and then if you look at someone else like Diamondback, they said that if this goes through, they will quit drilling. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's what they said. Uh, it wasn't their, I think it was their CEO that was on. I can't remember who it was, but anyways, um, they said they would, they would quit drilling. And so you go, okay, well, hmm, that's, 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 that puts folks like me and you on the, on, the, on the old field service side of the business. at a bad spot. pioneer uh, threatening to quit drilling. Um, as to your point about, you know, I saw Craddock kind of mo- uh, mocked about about this. And, and listen, we are the biggest critics of politicians in the world. But I did think she had a fair point. You know how, like, like you're saying, like Ananda said, how are we going to do this? Who's going to monitor this? Um, and then here's going to be the thing. Let's just get real practical for the listeners out there who are, who are for proration Here's what's going to happen. Story breaks this morning that Shake Shack got approved for the PPP loan. Okay. And now they took some heat and they're giving the money back. Okay. I just saw this this morning because they feel, I don't, I don't know. They feel bad, I guess, or whatever. Um, Chase Bank is their bank. I have an account at Chase Bank. Yep. Uh, maybe you do too. Josh, I don't know. But we have an account at Chase Bank. Good bank. I like them. Okay. So Chase Bank helped Shake Shack get a PPP loan. Shake Shack is now giving the money back. The government has ran out of money for that, that program. So there's no new loans being given out. And because of the way the program, the the policy is written, this money going, this $10 million going back does not open it up for more loans to come in. So it wasn't clear if it can go to the existing people who have applied uh, and have been approved or or what, but as it w- was reported this morning, Basically, they're going to get the $10 million back and it's going to sit there for a while. Um, that is government policy trying to prevent something in action. That's what happens. I'm not saying the PPP program is a bad program. I'm simply saying there are too many variables to consider and the government has to have policy and you have to have Congress, and you have to have all this stuff. So if we go proration, if we uh, start – trying to curtail this. The stories will come out and we will cover them on the show three, four, five, six months a year from now where someone violated it and got by. Someone did this. Someone interpreted that if you, you know, read the regulation this way that it allowed you to continue to do it and so they're challenging in court and we're going to spend six to 12 months talking about how this policy didn't work and then everyone's going to get mad at the TRCC for not doing their job a job that would be impossible for them to do. So, I think it's it's a it's a bad idea i think if you actually start asking the very practical questions about like like the example i gave about the gentleman who has the the and i think he's in the panhandle i can't remember um you start asking how does it how does it actually affect you and if the answer is well i don't know if it uh, if it would actually impact me or not um well okay then 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 how do we do how do we write a policy to impact it to, to do anything um you start getting into the weeds on this stuff, and it just, I don't see how it works. We are happy to have someone on for the railroad commission. We've got a guest that we're talking to about coming on, would be happy to hear their opinion on, on it, on what they think, and, and maybe answer some of these questions that, we, that we're just not smart enough to answer. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what you're going to see is people matter than they are now because the TRCC can't do this effectively. People, listen, Let's just put it out there. You don't think Exxon has a gazillion lawyers that they want to pay for to read these rules, interpret them, the most favorable way to, 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 to produce whatever, whatever, their, whatever their goal is. I don't know what Exxon's goal is. I'm, just, I'm using them. Exxon has a herd of lawyers that they say, hey, read these regulations so that we can do what we want to do. You don't think that's possible? You think little, little small producers are going to get the regulation written the same way that Exxon is? No, yeah. it's just not going to work. It sucks. Oil price is $10. I start off the show by joking about we got to get excited when the oil price is higher than the day of the month. It's terrible. I get it. But this is just not going to work. And if you think it is, I'm sorry. I've got uh, government regulation after regulation after regulation after regulation to show you why this stuff doesn't work, especially for guys like Josh Shelton, Ryan Ray, Nate Hansen, and all these other guys. Um, so that I was, I'll leave it there, but I'm happy to hear opposing views on this, John. I, I just I just can't see. Oh, final thing. Uh, I thought Epco pointed out a great point. Epco said to Pioneer, who's been whining, um, hey, you guys are just wanting to get out your contracts. So, you know, Pioneer has these contractual obligations to meet production numbers. And and so Epco's going, you guys are just trying to get out your contracts to to fill, to fill those. And so I thought that was a,
1: that was a uh, probably true a, a nice shot, yeah.
0: shot across the bow from um the
1: w- well there's, there's a couple yeah. things one uh, your point uh i can guarantee you the exxon lawyers and personnel are much more competent than the trc trcc i can tell you that right now um and i don't i don't mean that as a jab i'm just saying they are i mean these these exxon they got some they got some killers over yeah. there that that will run circles around any regulation that TRCC um, makes. I mean, that's, there's there's no chance. Number right. two, uh, the TRCC, what they're trying to do is right. they're trying to bring balance um, to, and stability to the oil markets. So I, I mean, the most effective thing they can do would be write Governor Abbott and Trump and beg them to open the economy back up so that the price actually starts to increase. I mean, that's what they should do. Oh, oh.
0: Yes, I- I'm glad you brought that up. Governor Abbott, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. So one of the things that was brought up on, on the testimony that let do was one of the producers was asking for the regular, the you know the regulatory body to act to the TRCC. Then he also said he hoped that Abbott go to go to go to uh, Abbott or the, the state congress or whatever, and ask them, me, and ask them to keep leaseholders um, that they've leased with in the contractual agreement, despite the fact that they're not drilling on their on, on their property. So he wants the TRC TRCC to curtail production and at the same time have the government enforce um these these lease these lease agreements um even though they're not drilling on them so he wants it he wants to, he wants to, he, so if you don't drill you eventually lose the lease so he wants the government to make him not drill and make the leaseholders be bound to exactly. him that's the, that that i mean it's like it's like oh you you're really concerned about you know, i hear america's best interest well what american is benefiting from that because listen i I don't have any interest in wells right now, so. But if I had interest in wells, and I wanted twenty dollar oil coming, to, you know, that royalty check, it's not a lot, but what if I wanted it? Uh, and you're wanting me to be helped, so. Um, listen, we could talk about a lot of things on this issue. At the end of the day, it sucks. Let's not say it doesn't suck. It's not getting better. The best news I've heard in a long time was that we're talking about opening the county back up. That has to happen. The TRCC cannot fix this problem. Um, and so it has to happen. We have to open the economy back up. And until we do that, you know, yeah. um, it's not you know none of this stuff's gonna yeah. matter, Josh. We're not gonna artificially get the price to no. fifty cents. None of this is gonna demand gets so, to
1: a normalized level. I mean, demand is the key right now. What's the problem with the oil price? Is oil demand? I mean, we can talk about the Saudis and the Russians. That was a big, that was a big hit. But they only met because oil demand was dropping in the first place. And if that rights there's an opportunity that we can fix this thing across the board, but we have a long way to go. I mean, uh, all the, all the has been hurt tremendously right now. Um, it's, it's,
0: it's been hurt and it's not coming back. And um, no, it's got to open up and, and, and we're going to open up slowly. And, you so know, it,
1: if we, I mean, we, if we open up today, we're not going to be, we're not going to be getting to normalized levels for eight weeks easy. Um, so every, every day we wait, oil price is just going to be hurt more. Um, they can do these things and artificially make the price go up for four dollars for twenty-four hours, and it's just going to drop right back down. Um, I watch it; I watch it almost every day, and it's 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 so yeah. it's so insane to see with all these economies shut down that oil will go from nineteen dollars up to twenty-four. And It's like you know you know that it's going to go right back down. I mean, you know, it. And unless unless these economies open back up. I mean, there's just well, well, you
0: know, there, two weeks in a yeah two weeks in a row the Dow has been up. On the on like the same day or the morning of million, when the yeah, unemployment the number, numbers come yeah, in yeah. as catastrophic levels, it's like, yeah. it's like,
2: it's like, yeah. come on,
0: come on, man, come on! And then of course on Monday it's like, oh, the down do drops do do another fifty yeah. percent. I don't. Well, yeah, would would you I think was going to happen? I don't get it. Yeah, so uh, you know, India, India, yeah. And to your point about slowing, over, back up slowly. India shut down for I think another thirty days or something like that. Yeah. India has like one point something billion people. Obviously, the America is the driver of, of demand, but um. Uh, and let me, let me bring this up real quick. I've seen a lot of frustration around China buying the oil. Let's just talk about that. Let's not get into the um, the origins of the viral of the virus debate right now. But let's talk about oil, China buying oil. Um, I've seen people that are mad at China buying the oil.
2: Uh, my simple question is, if they don't buy it, who do you want to buy it? If they don't buy it, who should buy it? Are you going to buy it? I'm not buying it.
0: I ain't buying it. I no, I ain't you buy want it. South Africa buy it? Josh, you want to buy it? I mean, who who's going to... Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who's going to buy, who is going to buy um, this oil? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, because so now to Anastas point a few weeks ago, or last week where it was, Anastas said, Hey, well, you know, they're going to buy for cheap and they're going to you know pump it back onto the market and, and kind of keep prices soft. Well, let's just say that that's true. Let's just say that's true. If the prices stay soft, that, the best cure for low prices is low prices. The problem now is, is there's no demand. And so therefore, um, there's nothing to happen to, to get the low prices up. So if China buys the oil and they put it back on the market to keep prices low, that should stimulate more economic growth. I'm not saying what their motivation is or if they're going to do that or not, but uh, I, did, I see a lot of people getting mad about China buying the oil. Well, if they're not, not going to buy it, no one's going to buy it. I mean, you want the feds to buy it to keep it in the ground? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So. Um, so just keep in mind, um, I put a I put a video out, and I've talked about this before, the book iPencil. There's a video now, um, kind of a, a shortened version of the iPencil movie. I would encourage everyone to watch that. You know, um, before we start talking about in, ending globalization and isolationism and all that, just go watch iPencil, go read the book, uh, and then we can have a conversation before. So we understand the ramifications of, um, you know, being isolationist and what, what that actually means. So,
1: All right. Today we have two guests coming on the show. Tom Acero, He's the co-founder of Great American Mining Co. And Reet Browning. He is the lead engineer. Uh, Tom, Reet, glad to have you on the show today. Been looking forward to uh, jumping into it. So uh, first of all, who are you? What do you do? And uh, kind of tell us a, a little bit about you know your company and, and and what it is exactly. What kind of service you'll provide?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, we're. I guess I would consider us um, at the very early stages of playing in the uh, flare mitigation um, part of the industry. Uh, we are primarily working uh, in the Bakken right now with oil and gas producers, and trying to create an alternative uh, pipeline for them. Uh, eventually, a digital pipeline. So, right now, it's just a simple flare mitigation option versus you know, doing like an NGL setup where they don't have traditional pipelines set up currently. And we provide a low cost alternative to that. We use that free gas to power these mobile data centers. Um, and with the hopes of growing into, uh, uh, I guess, like a relationship on a larger scale with oil and gas producers to actually see it as a viable commodity that they can take part in as well.
0: So let's kind of work through this for folks like me and Josh who aren't the, uh, aren't the the kind of crypto experts here. How much gas do we need? Um, And, you know, kind of walk us through just kind of a, you know, the 30,000 foot view of uh, drill the well and kind of what happens.
2: Yeah. Reed, why don't you take this part?
3: Well, it depends on what your demand is. Um, So, you know, you have electrical efficiency of, of the generators that we use um, it depends on the BTUs per scuff um, coming out of the well uh, so you have to make sure that you you understand your inputs before you even think about how many of these machines you can put on from our side we can scale to whatever size we need as long as you know we have a sufficient enough gas supply at a certain BTU range then then we can kind of then back engineer how much we can put onto that pad. Also, as long as you're not, you're you're under the decline curve at that point of the well.
0: And, and so if we, we got producers right now, we're obviously having the debate about, you know, maybe shutting in some production here in Texas. But if you're a producer right now, um, w- one of the things that you hear from, especially small producers is, is they're like, you know, uh, I don't care where my product goes, just as long as someone's buying it. Uh, but you say, well, you can take your your oil, and you you've got a contract for that. But if you're gas, if you're flaring it off, um, this is a better option. Um, they may not be aware of you know how they getting this to market, how they're making money off of it. You know, who's finding the contract? Are you guys handling all that, or um, you know, how does that work?
3: Tom, do you want to take that? <laughs> wow.
2: Um, yeah, I was going to say it's it's a little bit of the wild west right now. Um, our pilot project started out as a you know kind of a scratch my itch. Um, scenario up in the Bakken because they have caps um, tied to their production so in that scenario we just said hey we can do this cheaper than you guys uh, leasing out an NGL unit and um, that was the you know the initial um, kind of like entry point from that point Um, what we with the intention though of being able to share as much of the data as we could with them so primarily what we're doing is very, um, I, I would say, unorthodox in terms of how most Bitcoin miners operate. Most Bitcoin miners operate in a very centralized, more of like your traditional data center type scenario. So on the grid, uh, you know, kind of no issues with you know weird weather or or, or anything like that. Pretty much twenty four seven uptime. And, and part of us doing this was a little bit of a an experiment because we know that there's. Um, access to more energy via, you know, all of the flaring that's going on. So uh, what we needed to prove out was, okay, can we get these things to run reliably enough that we can make it work financially? And so part of that is, okay, what's our uptime? What's our, um, our gas consumption levels on a day in day out basis. And then eventually we have enough data to now start saying, okay, well, this is what a producer would get versus selling back into the pipeline and so that's where we're at now where we've got you know five or six months worth of data to to back out against that and now we're starting to share those with producers so i don't might be able to fill in a little bit more detail on the upside versus the pipeline but that's that's my take
3: right so, I mean, the the main thing about this digital pipeline is that, and the key takeaway for that one, is that you don't actually have to move the molecule to extract value on the other end. So, you know, from an oil and gas perspective, you want to move your product to market as as cheaply and efficiently as possible. You know, when you're talking about associated gas, you know, that that's a headache for most folks in many cases. Um, but, you know, you have capacity charges, you have, you know, you have to lease your equipment for, for liquids production if, if it's a, it's a wet gas, you know, so there are all these other costs associated to it. So, you know, the end result is your net becomes a, a much more shrink down version of what you would hope to get. Now, the point of the digital pipeline is that you don't actually have to move the molecule to a market but you can extract value on the pad on that on the other side so i mean we can handle the the basically handling the the cryptocurrency component of it and then at the end of every day you can get paid in in dollars
0: So what, you know, if you look at Bitcoin kind of over the past couple of weeks, it had an interesting response when the markets first started crashing, it kind of crashed with it, which is kind of a, you know, for the kind of diehard Bitcoin folks, maybe a little little. Hurt to the price, yeah. I'm um, back up to thousand right now. Um, is there a price to where this is not viable? So, if you're listening to this, going okay, you're saying I can make money uh, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin right now is, is just above seven thousand dollars at the top of this recording. Uh, is there a price to where this is not viable? Um, and it would be better to do what we're doing,
2: yeah. Uh, well, what's an interesting part about uh, how the Bitcoin, um, I would say protocol works is that there is this. Thing that is called the difficulty adjustment, and it's a built-in component to the software that essentially um, monitors the amount of people that are competing as well as price. So, right now, I think you know, kind of like the average median price to mine a Bitcoin right now is probably in the four to five thousand dollar range. So, there's still a pretty decent little you know nut to be made. Um, if the price goes lower. Um, people with less efficient machines, those machines will drop off the network because they can't mine it profitably. And at the same time, the software will know to essentially um, uh, kind of reconfigure itself and then make it a little easier on the puzzles. So those, um, even if the price drops, that that difficulty is correlated with being able to mine effectively. So that's why there's that's why there's a lot of correlation between the oil and gas market and Bitcoin mining, because it's basically ruthless capitalism. There's a race to get the cheapest, most scalable, reliable power, because if you can get that number as low as you can, you can effectively mine um, at at pretty much, you know, any price and do really well. So, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now.
0: And this is just for Bitcoin, right? No other cryptos or other cryptos as
2: well? We don't do any other cryptos. Uh, Some other folks do, but I would say the vast majority of folks are are doing Bitcoin.
0: And so you're going to the will and uh, we call you up today and say, Hey, we're ready for you. Will will the... um well, the the hardware, the the stuff on the ground will it last? The length of the well is there a lot of maintenance? The uh, upkeep cost or and what's kind of the investment from the operator side? Yeah,
2: I'll I'll fill in the top and then Reek can kind of come in with the, the nuts and bolts. So far, we've at least the feedback we've gotten is that what we're doing is from a maintenance perspective, way less than what a typical service provider um, is doing on a on a pad. The only time our stuff really goes down is if something goes on with the generators. Um, so you know we might go in every couple of months and replace filters inside these boxes or do some some routine maintenance. But for the most part, they're self-contained. They're in Connex boxes. We you know we've got satellites or some type of you know telecommunications stuff going on, so we can pretty much handle everything uh, remotely. And then for that part of time, those things just run twenty four seven. And so that's been one of the biggest uh, elements of the feedback we've gotten from folks on the patch is like, Hey, this thing just works. It's just on all the time. I didn't expect this. Um, so for us, like that's just, it has to be on because it's, it is a very capital intensive game. So just for people to understand the scope for about one megawatt, which would be, I don't know, the equivalent of maybe 140 to 150 MCF. Or so Re can fill me in here uh, <laughs> that would be approximately around anywhere from a million dollars to 1.3 million dollars depending on if you own the generators and they're out to get spun up so the those those machines that are inside the overall container are not cheap and it is pretty capital intensive so the the focus is to try to get that payback as fast as you can
0: and what is your average payback time
2: Um, it depends on the market and how cheap you can get your energy prices. So typically, uh, you know, people like to have payback between eight months to 16 months. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, has been circulating in Texas, at least is, you know, the, the, the notion that we are wasting our, our natural gas by flaring it. And obviously you guys are, are tackling the flaring issue, but someone might say, well, listen, um, You know, flaring it, uh, you know, know, there's environmental concern, but it's just a waste issue. But what you guys are doing is, um, it's it's really not no better. It's really any better because it doesn't help the general American consumer, um, kind of the American first mentality. It's helping the Bitcoin folks, but for everyone else, uh, it's not really doing much. It'd be better to to shut it in and keep it in the ground. What would you say to that?
2: Hmm. Um, Well, I, I would say that what it's effectively doing is, we are securing the Bitcoin network. And now, yeah, I know it's just a bunch of weird internet money guys out there that are, are, that are kind of in it, but that's it's a little bit, the people who are really hardcore Bitcoiners truly believe in a, um, in a, in a world where central banking isn't, um, doesn't have the control that it does. And so this aspect to securing the network and to seeing Bitcoin grow in value um, is to disintermediate that particular influence. So I would say um, that it's a imperative (laughs) for Americans, uh, especially after printing all this money to uh, invest in it and to see it as a a net positive. Like, you know, we, we have multiple people on the ground contractors uh, in the Bakken that are, you know, um, have jobs because of us. And uh, if we can become a service provider, Um, in the oil and gas context, uh, that, that helps out in that way, um, without having to, you know, um, as far as an alternative, when you're thinking of, well, what does a pipeline construction deal with? And, you know, you deal with, uh, what happened with Keystone and everything that was surrounded with that. Well, what if the alternative is these like mini distributed pipelines right on gas wells and that can extract value. You have rights holders getting money. Um, I I think it's a net positive for everyone involved. It's not like the Greta Thunberg model for sure, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so I guess final question for me is: um, I did don't we won't get too much in the weeds here, but is someone listening going okay? This is great, but if you follow Bitcoin price, it goes up, down, up, down, up, down. It sounds like this might be an accounting and tax nightmare. <laughs> um, can you kind of walk us through how you know if that's going to scare someone off? Uh, why that may may or may not be a concern?
2: Yeah, I think on the cost basis side of things, you know, we're willing. Well, at, at this point, we're the only ones mining right now. So, the scenarios or the scenario that we're in with the oil and gas producers right now, we're, we're not having to really deal with that. If an oil and gas producer wanted to have us come on site, we could essentially deal with, with that component and they would just get paid out just like they would um, for selling their, their gas into a pipeline. Uh, via US dollars. So um, I don't believe it would be um, a a factor in terms of, um, you know, mitigating what they would do. Uh, I would say that the data that we've gotten, and Rick can probably touch on this a little bit more because he understands the nuance around it, um, is that typically what we've seen, even with the down market, if we go back historically um, the past 24 months, that Mining Bitcoin versus sending it into the pipeline is anywhere between five times to ten times more profitable every month, um, and so that's a real number that we've, you know, determined based on our costs out there, uh, our own uptime, and it's significant in terms of what oil and gas producers are dealing with right now. Re, you can fill that in.
3: Oh yeah, no, the the, you know, and and on the other side. And to your point of fluctuating uh, prices, yeah, you, you, your return is not like a static five, five X or a 10 X. And, and mind you, that is on Henry hub prices and not based off of, you know, the wellhead price. So unrefined untouched gas is definitely not going to fetch uh, Henry hub prices. So, um, you know, your margins could be a lot bigger. We just wanted to have some back data that made more sense and, and that we could actually benchmark it to. Um, but it does fluctuate. That said it's still above what you could fetch at market. So, I mean, you can have a mix of these things as well saying, okay, okay. I'm a producer. I want to send, you know, 30% of my gas to the, 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 the grid, so to speak. And then the rest I I'm going to mine with Bitcoin. Uh, I will never see the Bitcoin. I'll just extract the value on the other side in terms of dollars. So you know it, it, it can be used as a hedging tool as well. If that makes any sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that five to ten percent is based off of net, like our you know our our net yeah, profit. Five so five obviously, it's a pretty big capital expenditure. Not, not
3: percent. Right. Five to ten yes. x.
2: <laughs> yes, that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well we would normally ask if you have any conferences that you'd be at but obviously we know the answer to that is no so um where might you want to send people to want to f- find out more about what you guys are doing
2: yeah great uh yeah we just basically kind of came out of like a stealth uh you know kind of startup mode you can find us at www.gam.ai we affectionately uh, refer to ourselves as gam for great american mining in that sense. So, uh, lots of information there. Uh, we're pretty active in some telegram, telegram groups. There's a Bitcoin and oil and gas telegram group. That's pretty active. Um, and
0: I'm in that thing. Let me, let me, how you bring that up. I think I'm in that one and they've got me blocked where I can't comment, which is probably smart. <laughs> oh, is
2: just well, I'm an admin, it. so I can fix that for
0: you. <laughs> yeah. I went and put my username up and I got, uh, uh, like, uh, oil, gas and Bitcoin. I'm, I'm in there. And it's like, uh, I've been I've been muted. I'm like Uh Oh, Censored
2: not good. No, no, no. No, no, no. You probably did the right thing. Oh, it might have came up as a bot or something. (laughs) So, uh,
0: but anyway,s good. Sorry.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's that platform is a great place to 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 share ideas, and 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 that's the idea is that we all, you know, there are a bunch of different people who are doing this as well, and and we we try to be as you know transparent as we can, um, without you know giving up the secret sauce, so to speak. But, um, you know, it, it's all about collaborative stuff, um, at that point. And there are different people from different walks of industry that, that really do contribute things that where, you, where you haven't thought about something and where you have thought about something. So
2: there's always a platform to share. Right. Yeah. And I, I think one of the biggest elements as far as the, uh, the diversity of, of, uh, thoughts on things are even based on the geographic um, areas where we all kind of concentrate on. We've got a group of uh, Canadian uh, folks up in the Calgary area who obviously have a very different um, uh, set of um, challenges that they have to deal with. And then, you know, in the Bakken, there's like three of us. And then we've got some folks in Texas where, you know, the folks in Texas are and this, I can tell the, type of questions that you're asking are more focused, um, specifically around, uh, what an oil producer in Texas would normally think because they, for the most part, correct me if I'm wrong, they have the access to get it to a pipeline somewhat easily for them. Uh, whereas in the Bakken, it's not as much of a, um, you know, guaranteed thing. So they, and, and then having the flaring caps, uh, forces them to be a little bit more creative with what they're going to do with that, with that gas. Um, and Texas is just like, Hey, we just we can get in the pipeline, like you said, and whatever I get for the price is, is what I get for it. And I make my money off the oil. Is that? Yeah. But
0: we've seen a ton of flaring as well. Yeah. You That's know, been a big point of debate down here is, you know, should the Texas Railroad Commission allow them to keep flaring? So, um, yeah, so I don't know what the flaring regulations are in the Bakken, but, uh, but you know, you can draft through, well, I don't know about now, Josh, I guess now you probably can't drive and see the flares in the middle of nowhere, but, just a few months ago you could drive through West Texas and see the flares uh for miles and miles away. It seemed
1: yeah, like well, putting in the pipeline was more expensive than um, than flaring it off. So they were actually moving it to a pipeline at a loss. Right. So they were just, just flared it just right. to, to save money. Wow.
3: And and so that's the thing and and that's the thing about the flaring component of it is saying that this will drive more you're using all your energy more efficiently that way because in one way, shape or form it's going to produce economic drivers on the other side. So, I mean, better efficiency, better margins. That's it.
0: Mm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, fellas, so much for coming on. We appreciate your time, and best of luck to you guys in the future, and we will link to all your stuff in the show. All right.
2: Awesome. Really like listening to you guys' podcasts. It's uh, very entertaining. <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. thanks, guys. All right, big
1: uh, thank you to Tom and Reet for coming on the show today. I've always been fascinated with uh, data centers and Bitcoin mining, uh, using the, the excess natural gas out in the Permian. It sounds like they are capitalizing in other areas. Um, fortunately, Ryan, I just don't know uh, how much uh, gas is going to be being produced out in the Permian. <laughs> I, I, su- I suppose it still is. So um, yeah. definitely definitely something of, uh, of interest still. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was... That was interesting.
0: I think, yeah, I'm, 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 so if you want to talk about the role of the, the, the fed or the central bank, yeah, well, you're not getting any argument from me um, about them. communist. Um, I'm always torn on Bitcoin. I bought, I don't know, like $130 worth of Bitcoin months ago, just so I could, I'm a little Robin Hood account. It pop up. I could kind of see it, you know, kind of track it. And, um, I, I'm not sure if it's the future or not. Um, as much as I would like for something like that to be. I'm not sure if that's the right one. Um, but the other thing is, um, you know, I, that doesn't, but that's a separate argument from can you make money with your natural gas right now, right? So you could say, well, I don't believe in Bitcoin long-term, but I could make some money now. And so, and, and obviously I'm not a, a Bitcoin mining expert. I can't answer that question, but it is an interesting way to potentially make money that you, you know, you wouldn't make otherwise. And, and if you have marginal whales, that are, you know, when the old is $50 at least, um, maybe this could put you at the hump. Again, I don't know. Contact those guys or, um, and kind of get a better grasp of it. So, anyways, what, Josh, is this our last podcast of April or we got one more? Uh, it's
1: 420. Um, I'll oh, get one more, 427. One more, yeah.
0: 427. It feels like April has gone by really fast. It felt like March was like six years long, but April's gone by pretty fast, I will say. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we're just getting used to the, uh, the you know the shelters in place and the quarantines and life not going on but um, it feels like it's been better than uh, March at least I, I don't know is that just me or is that you as well or
1: what would you say? Uh, I I mean I'm, I'm kind of taking it in stride but I I definitely would say April is better than March uh, at this point. You would say it is or is not is not is not better. Yeah, I, I mean, when, 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 Mar- I Mar- March was podcasted. March <laughs> March was pretty rough. Don't get me wrong. I was I was I was down. But I mean, April they started shutting down stuff like, yeah, testing centers where you can go do stuff. You know, find other ways to, to generate income. They started shutting down everything. Um,
2: you know, it's funny.
0: That, my my kids and I were talking the other day. And my, my son, just real quick for the listeners, uh, we're dealing with all gas stuff probably. So if you want to, maybe you have a few roundup stories. But anyways, so if you want to check on out sometimes people say well yeah, yeah yeah so here's your warning little yak warning my son who's 12 has been saying that you know we went back and looked at some historical things and he's like oh man nothing cool has happened in my lifetime relative to what we saw the you know the computer the cell phone all that kind of stuff and so i've been telling him i said son this is you know this right here you're seeing is maybe the greatest um I don't know not the greatest thing like in that term, but you know, it's the most spectacular thing um, that you will see in your entire life. This is so rare of an event. It's like a supernova almost, you know, it's really weird. Um, and I kind of went back and looked at the dates. And so I think, let's see here. I would, I know where I was. I was at an, I was beating the ambassador of Mali. It's March 11th. And that's when it all, that's when the NBA shut down. That's when college basketball started shut down. That's when everything basically just said, you know, that was the beginning of the end. You kind of, we had some, I guess, some minor shutdowns and stuff before then, but March 11th um, will go down for me as the day when this, this really went to the next level. The first day, obviously, it'd be when the, when the Russians uh, with OPEC, but it's like March 11th was kind of the, the tipping point, the straw that broke the camel's back, Josh. And so that puts us a month and a half now past March 11th. So. Hopefully by May 11th, things are a lot closer to normal than they are now.
1: Well, Ryan, we have a couple of, a couple of stories to run through in the the roundup. Um, first thing, Enterprise opens more storage options with a two way shipping along the Seaway pipeline. Uh, obviously, storage has been filling up because demand um, just isn't using it. So the the storage is weird how that works. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were, uh, in addition to that, there were some conversations going on about the OPEC deal, uh, in Mexico, OPEC plus, uh, we talked a little bit about that with Anas. Here's two articles we're going to link to in the show notes to, uh, kind of piggyback on that and, and have some, some folks commenting on what that is going to look like. The issue, issue again is OPEC and Saudis, they can't fix the problem if the oil demand is not there, there's really nothing they can do. Um, if everybody shut down oil production, a hundred percent, uh that we start to make a dent in it. <laughs> yeah. That would start to make a dent in it. I mean, we still have enough storage to, uh, to ruin our day, but, um, I mean, it would take something that drastic it, it, at this point, no matter what they do, like, I think they said they were going to shut down 10 million barrels. Uh, basically I'm estimating here yeah, of production. Yeah, they said that's half the of day. the drop in demand. That's yeah. half. Yeah.
0: Like,
1: that, I mean, so that that's not going to do much. It's almost
0: better for our psyche that, the, that everyone doesn't stop drilling
1: because then it'd be really depressing. <laughs> yeah, the
0: price goes like 10 to 12, like, oh, no.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that that would like, yeah. It, we'd have to re- revisit that answer to the question, to that three or four-year <laughs> question, what's going to look like. Um, Warren Buffett and Oxy. So there was uh, two articles that are out. We're going to link these here. Um, basically saying, Warren Buffett gets more shares in Oxy. I know, Ryan. one of the things you said is he's going to be the, the guy you, you look at with Oxy. If he buys shares, then it looks like they're going to be doing good. If he doesn't, this is not quite what you were saying, uh, because basically they couldn't afford to pay him. Well, I said, he couldn't afford it. yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah like his dividend, it was better. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, Josh. Um, so if you listen to Buffett and I've got mixed, I mean, obviously Buffett's you know, very good investor and super smart. Um. So, not denying that, but sometimes I'm i mixed on what he says publicly versus what he believes privately. But you know, um, um but I would say with Oxy, a couple of things that have happened since we've kind of covered the story. Um, first, you had the billion-dollar buyout of the buyout. Basically, hey, we're gonna you know give, you know, Anadarko is gonna pay a billion to not go with Chevron. Um, then they overpaid, depending on who you know who you ask, what ten billion or whatever. So let B. be, I can't remember the exact numbers, but you know, basically. They outbid Chevron by, by $10 or $11 billion. Then you had Icon, um, who was kind of, you know, very frustrated. And then you had uh, Buffett give them the loan. Um, I, I believe it was a $10 billion loan. that mm-hmm. On 8% interest. Yeah. Um, to and you get some preferred shares and um, to kind of float them. So at that point in time, Buffett obviously felt like, you know, this is a, a viable buy long term. The Corona deal, obviously no one's all coming. So you kind of, you're kind of sitting there going, well, what's he going to do moving forward? Um, if you're Buffett, I'm just curious. If you're sitting here in your Buffett, you know, do you, do you sell now? I mean, cause it would be a bloodbath. I would imagine if he were to, to exit his position, um, they owe him a bunch of money still, so he can still collect that. I, I don't I to go back and look and see exactly how the deal was structured. Um But all that I get i get to say all that to say. Icon, I hadn't heard anything from him lately. So I guess he's content or the media's not covering it or, or whatever, because once you got the board seats, I haven't really heard him say much. Um backed yeah, so it makes you, makes you kinda wonder if they're maybe in better position, not great position, but makes you wonder if uh, you know the Buffets, the icons of the world, or whatever, um, are internally who have access to more data than me. You a little bit more confident than than maybe you would get by looking at the stock price and the, the dividend cut. I have no idea. I'm just it's just a, just a thought there. Um, you know, but you know, the, a great person this in would be Speaker, but um, you know, we, you know, we 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 haven't heard from Speakner in a while, so maybe he's uh gone to greater pastors so anyways um but i've just wondered about that you know what you're not hearing from icon above is not a big media guy anyways you don't hear a lot from him um but anyways so it's my thoughts
1: well three other stories we have here number one uh schlumberger 7.4 billion dollar loss set stage for most uncertain future so what they said was a 7.4 billion dollar loss in the first quarter they're anticipating the second quarter to be much worse. Uh, got some friends in industry with Schlumberger or um, some uh, companies that are associated with them. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people I know got laid off here here recently. So um, they also have some, some other information, Halliburton laid off 1100, Turner industry 645, Weatherford 6,000, Zachary 288. Um, that's a, uh, that's bad news. We have a lot of layoffs going on, and, and this is all circulating around the service industry, um, which is the second article we're going to link here, where it talks about service industries are being hit um, equally as hard as the EMP companies. Uh, SlumberJ is kind of the leader of that pack, um, but they're, they're really getting hit pretty hard, and, and they really don't know what to think. They, they believe that the second quarter that's coming up is going to be the worst uh, in the history of the industry. Is is what is what this article says. So, um, I'm I'm hopeful what, that we can. What day? We, now? What day? What we, day? We, you said it was going to be the what? What worst we, quarter of the history of the industry? The second quarter is going to be second quarter. Yes, second and we quarter in will the, be. We are in the. We're in the second quarter now. Yeah. Well, yeah. so, you're just
2: a passion
0: of joy. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're not quite out of second quarter, so they, they don't know. They didn't know what to expect. They're having a lot of layoffs, and, and it's uncertain how it's going to play out, which everybody's uncertain. Uh, like we were talking about, we don't see a path out. Um, Schlumberger doesn't see a path out either, so we, we don't know how this is about to go, so it's uncertain, uh, yeah. so it's, it's making people skeptical. Yeah,
0: the second quarter doesn't end till June
1: thirtieth. So you've yeah.
0: just you've just ruined our lives for another few months.
1: Yeah, well May, I mean look, here's the deal. If <laughs> if, if, if May first they open everything up and everybody starts going back to, you know, we we had to go on a vacation and uh, just everybody start using uh, energy and that would that would really help um the, the industry as a whole.
0: What's your but prediction I, on that, Josh? When when do you think the world will the world will open back up?
1: I believe uh, because of some normally of the program. everything. Oh, uh, they opened up in China. People were scared to go out. So they didn't want to go out to restaurants and eat and whatnot. So that gives me an idea that when they open up the beaches, there's not going to be a ton of people there. Uh, Fox news actually ran a a headline that was bad. They actually showed a beach from like two years ago and talked about how it was open and people were going back. And then there was uh, some, some real photos. The beaches were basically empty. I mean, there were people, um, but instead of being like 3,000 people the main they were like,
0: just like, let us again. Yeah. So come on now.
1: And I'm not talking about a little bit, you know, 3,000 people is what they had in their picture, but reality was like 10. Uh, oh, so wow. it,
0: it, I think it, I saw that picture. I was surprised how many people went out that day. I thought, yeah, was me time. too.
1: I thought the same thing. I was like, well, yeah, good news. People are tired of being at home. And then the actual reality comes out and it's like, they are full. So full of it, man. Um, anyway, that,
0: that, that, that's uh, a good point though
1: that you made. You talk about the China
0: deal and people being afraid to go back out is that we you know, what is old demand going to look like if people are free to go but they don't want to go? You know, that's a uh, that's uh, unknown. You know, that's an unknown. That um, you know, if if we transition, and I, 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 this is an overstatement here, I don't think it's going to happen. But if we transition to a world where you know grocery stores are mainly delivery only, or I say mainly, a large portion is mainly delivery. You got Amazon. You know, people don't leave their houses as much. We kind of, you know, not shelter in place. We just don't do as much. Um, Especially with summer coming up, um, it could change the market fundamentals um, severely. I don't think it's. I don't think. I don't think it's gonna be that way. I do think though, um, we're probably maybe by school year before. Best case scenario before everyone is willing, ready, and able to come back out.
1: Yeah, August that, right? that'd be that'd be reasonable. I I think I think governmentally, I think we're going to be open by may 15th protests and stuff going on i think i think people will i think work uh jobs and stuff are gonna are gonna begin to open back up by, by then. but uh the general te- um nature of of the individuals that are out kind of getting back to normal going on vacations mm-hmm. um you know, going and doing stuff great wolf lodge you can take any kids there and all that i i don't i don't know um yeah i don't, sure. I don't know <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's on, yeah, that's a good thing to look at over the summer is, you know, Six Flags, Great Wolf Lodge. I don't know if they publicly report the numbers. Disney World, Disneyland, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, wh- whatever a big amusement park is, what are they seeing? uh
1: um, y'all yeah. want somebody to come and put some pictures on Instagram, I- I'll take a free Disneyland trip. I'll be there today. <laughs> uh, you give me the tickets, I'll, I'll go and I'll I'll support the reopen. Well, one more article, Ryan. Uh Calen Petroleum plans reverse stock split following NYSE uh, listing warning. So,
0: yeah, that's what Chesapeake did. I hadn't see what Chesapeake stock was. You know, it was down to like 19 cents or whatever. And, uh, they did the reverse stock split. It went up to 16, but means you got, you know, you got a lot less here. So let's see here. Great radio here. Chesapeake is at 14. So <laughs> it was a 16 to steal a day. So, uh, after they did the reverse, reverse stock split, uh, Let's see here. I gotta go. Oh, you can't look at it. anyways. So it was a 16-day. days at 14.55. So it'll be back, back down again, little before too long. So anyway, is that it, Joshua? That is it, buddy. All right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, and keep your head up. Uh, hopefully, things will open back up, and we will have a quicker recovery than it looks like right now. But until then, keep.